everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the critically acclaimed network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. I write for The Rap and Slash Film, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I write for Slash Film. Uh... For the purposes of this podcast, you may call me Rockmeister McCool, but, mm, I mean, you don't have to. Yeah, but why would you pass up that opportunity? <laughs> you can call me what you like. Yeah. It'd be like if you met, like, Steven Spielberg. It's like, oh, hello, Mr. Spielberg, sir. It's a pleasure to meet you. And he said, no, no, please, call me Rocco. <laughs> I'm calling Steven Spielberg would, Rocco. I would call him Rocco in perpetuity. Yeah, like, I'd, exactly. I, I would hope to speak at his funeral and said, Rocco loved movies. <laughs> Anyway, here's how this podcast works. Stop this table. Here's how this podcast works. Uh, we, we, you write us uh, emails or letters. Uh, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, you can actually send us a physical letter to uh, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, and uh, as we, we read them and we respond to your comments. We answer your questions. We do prompts like if you want us to like hey what's the thing and really like, i don't know blah anyway emails that's what we do whitney do you have any emails for us this week uh, or is it gonna be a very short podcast well i don't i don't have any emails but we have emails from our listeners okay. uh here is an email from dr nova we got oh hey dr nova good to hear from me again dr nova uh, yeah. from time to time get some updates um uh, dear business whitney um hi love your podcast listen to you all the time this letter isn't for you oh I feel so rejected. Dear straight people. <laughs> wow. So, to the straight people listening, stop recommending Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> all, in, all in caps. I get it. You talk to one queer person, me right now, and you don't know that I like movies and you think I'm gay, which isn't the case, but God, I'm not coming out to you. <laughs> Did you guys know there are other queer movies? <laughs> For children, even. I know you think it's weird that queer kids exist, but you live in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and it's some sort of dystopia there. Look, there are a lot it's, of decent people in Texas. There are a lot right? of decent people in Texas. So it's, the the it's, people in the Texan government are there, kind of shit heels, there, but there are people. There are decent people. There's a lot of states right now getting a lot of bad press. Mm. Uh, Texas and Florida, in particular, but uh, they're definitely not alone. And here's the thing: there are great, wonderful people oh, yeah. who live in those states who are being oppressed. Yeah, by all that shit. So there, just a, shout out if you live yeah. there and you're trying your best. Bless you. It's mm. it's so damn hey, difficult everywhere, but especially we, in some of those places. We really we odd. want you to survive, and we yeah. we know that your your governors and politicians aren't you. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, but but it says here. Um, uh, you, yeah. li you live in Texas, it's some sort of dystopia there, but uh, you think you're being an ally because you're not being openly hostile. In other places where kids feel safe, they watch movies like Love, Simon, where the entire cast is supportive and good, and all of the people that need to stop being the only people who need to stop being jerks is the dad, who is the kind of person that would ask Simon if he had seen Brokeback Mountain. Two bullies who are bullies and an idiot who doesn't know the consequences of inactions. Have, have you seen Love, Simon? I have Love seen Love, Simon. Simon. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's very, right. very John Hughesy. Yeah, you know? My only issue with Love Simon is that Simon is like super bland. Uh, it's but, very John Hughesy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but here's the great thing about Love Simon: it's like, okay, yes, queer kids 
get to have bland ass comedies too. <laughs> yeah, they they get to make they get to make terrible mistakes. They get to learn from them. Like it's, it's okay. It's a good yeah. flick. I like that flick. Anyway, I don't want to watch the sad gay cowboy movie. Never talk to me again, Doctor Nova. P.S. I know Whitney doesn't care for Love Simon. Uh, just uh, it's okay. Minor quibbles. I don't really yeah. hate it. Uh, uh, so, do you have any suggestions for queer movies kids can watch it that are like Love Simon? Oh. Um, Doctor Nova. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. I'm trying to think. Like, what are some good queer romances? There aren't that are a like lot. like super kid friendly or maybe teen friendly. Yeah, there re- there really aren't a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I'm a cheerleader. I mean, I mean, that's well, that's, that's 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 more for adults. It's a little little bit on the edge, but I would say, I would say, I would say older kid. teens. Yeah, yeah like, but like that's a, not. But that's not I like think a, I think a 14, 15 year old could watch. Yes. But I'm a cheerleader and be but okay I, with it. But I also think that's not necessarily the same audience. That's uh, that's very much. Uh, a, a different kind of satire biting coming of age yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing. Uh, I, I'm thinking about like when I think about John Hughes, for example, I mean, those are, I, I saw, and some of those movies had bad stuff in them that has aged very, very poorly, or was mm. definitely for more mature audiences or senses of humor, but it wasn't so pervasive that I couldn't appreciate it and sort of let the stuff I didn't understand kind of wash away. But, you know, I grew up watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I grew up watching some kind of wonderful, uh, and I did that when I was like in elementary school. Yeah. And these were teen romances, and that was that was deemed fine. So, yeah, it, it the, the realm of queer cinema that would be that mainstream is a relatively recent phenomenon, especially as far as mainstream Hollywood goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there still aren't nearly enough. Yeah, I, There was a film I know that's out there that I haven't seen. I actually haven't been able to track it down. What's up? Uh, it's an animated film called In a Heartbeat, oh. uh, which is an animated film about two boys. Uh, mm. Kids are, I think they're like 11. Okay. And, and they like have a crush on each other. It's about right. two, two young boys in love. It's just sort of this, this sweet animated queer romance. Mm. Um, uh, there's uh, Your Name. Oh, I didn't see your, your name. name. Oh, that's is, where they switch bodies, that's, right? There's def- yeah. But there's definitely a queer element to it, where um, it's about a teenage uh, boy and a teenage girl, and every other day they switch bodies. Uh-huh. And they start sharing each other's lives. Uh, and they start falling for each other, and there's definitely a bit of gender identity in there. I think the movie kind of derails in the second half when it starts explaining what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of people love that movie. Yeah. And I understand why. It's not my favorite, but I understand why. And I think that's a movie that isn't as on the nose yeah. as something like Love, Simon, oh, but um, is definitely uh, approaching that. What was the name of that lesbian Cyrano film on Netflix from a couple years ago? Oh, that was a really that good a, one. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, called yeah. The Half of It. The Half of It. That's the a good half one. The Half of It is a really good that's one. A good it's, one. It's, it's a Cyrano story about yes. a, a teenage girl who is hired by the local like jock. Yeah, the, the star jock uh, at at her high school to write love poetry for his crush. Yeah, uh, this this rather dynamic young artist woman that he has he's fallen in love with, and uh, the protagonist begins falling in love with the young girl as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, yeah, that that's that's a really really good mm-hmm. one, um, and it takes place like in this like remote town in Oklahoma, if I recall. <laughs> um, yeah, it's real. That was a really good one. Uh, the half of it was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I would be I hear, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually throw this out because we could we could think about this for a long time mm-hmm. and we could come up with a few more. I want to know from our listeners, especially our queer listeners, uh, what are the more young, family friendly or at least teen friendly uh, queer movies uh, that you would recommend? 
mm. because there aren't enough. Yeah. And that's just true. Oh, I've, I've got another one. Oh, yeah. um, uh, one from a couple of years ago that I also liked was called To the Stars. Did I see that one? Which one uh, was that? You didn't see that one. Um, okay. That was one of my favorites of that year. Um, no, it, it takes place uh, in... Um, oh, that's like, like the Eastern European one, isn't it? No, no, no. This takes place in, in like, Kansas. Or, oh, what am I thinking? Or, no, this this one's also rural local. Maybe I was mixing up To the Stars and, and the half of it. But this one takes place in Oklahoma in, like, the 60s. Okay. And uh, it's about uh, sort of, like, uh, the popular girl and the unpopular girl, and they kind yeah. of find that they have sort of this mutual bond, and you realize over the course of the film that they're kind of falling in love with each other. Yeah. Uh, that's a sweet one. Okay. Um... Yeah, I'm trying to yeah. think. No, again, we're going to, again, I'm just yeah, going to throw this out, I'm gonna this out, this out there because, again, it's Pride Month. Uh-huh. Not that we need the excuse, but it is Pride Month. Uh, if anyone has any recommendations that they would like to share, especially some that might be a little less obvious, because the crux of the email is there are certain films that tend to break out mm-hmm. that are about or focused on or become examples of representation that becomes such a catch-all, even if they're good. I think Brooklyn Mountain's a very good movie. Uh, but but they, they, they just become this whole, oh yeah, I saw that movie. I've seen all there is to see. It's <laughs> a, a general sentiment, and that's obviously completely wrong. Uh, so, yeah, bring it on. More recommendations, especially uh, something that maybe you mm-hmm. might have flown under our radars. We'd have loved to, we'd love to know about it. Yeah, yeah. Thank um, you. Uh, Let's move on. Next letter. Here is a letter from Lily. Hello, Lily. Um, okay. Hey, Bibbs, and oh gosh, Rockmeister McCool, but it's spelled all weird. It's got three uh, three R's and an H. Nice. And, and the the U in McCool has an umlaut. Um, the umlaut is silent. <laughs> uh, no, it changes the the pronunciation. No, vowel, I, it was but... a, it was a joke. Okay, I was making a joke. <laughs> but you know what an umlaut the, is. I, right? I know that an umlaut is mm. is is a is a. What's he called? A grammatical uh, device that is actually a punctuation that changes the yeah. pronunciation of word. Yeah. I I am aware of that. Okay, it was a joke. Um, Moving on. W- w- here's something I really love. You know the word cooperate? Yes. You can spell it with a hyphen if you want. True. Or you can spell it with two O's. Yep. And it's sort of ironic that the O's in the word cooperate don't cooperate. don't make the same sound. <laughs> that is it's funny. A, actually, cute, cute little grammatical. I think quirk. that's um, neat. Uh, I'm going to save a lengthy introduction, get right to my question. Okay. Uh, what are some of your favorite direct-to-streaming movies, TV shows, etc., that have been removed from streaming services oh, for a tax write-off? Oh, uh, one God. of mine is Hush from 2016, a movie yeah. that was extremely popular when it came out on Netflix and was recently removed, uh, which mm. I discovered only when I went to rewatch it. Mm. Uh, uh, for, for the record, for the record, Hush, I actually uh, uh, did, did some checking on this. Hush was not technically a Netflix original. Netflix licensed it for a limited time. That time is now up, and I believe that the original production company, I think it's Blumhouse, could put it on another service at some point. Maybe they're working on a home video release finally. Mm. I don't know. Mike Flanagan, who directed that movie, became kind of a big deal afterwards. He directed Doctor Sleep. He uh, uh, directed a whole bunch of really successful Netflix shows. Uh... Something tells me that won't be gone for long, but it is currently gone as best as I understand it, and that does suck. Yeah. So there is hope for Hush. Okay. That's what I will say. Uh, Regarding uh, stuff that is gone for tax writer purposes, I'm trying to remember exactly what's gone. The letter's not done yet. Okay, fair enough. I'm I'm going to look look up the list here. um, It says, um, 
I, I couldn't see Hush because when I went to rewatch it wasn't there. Um, it's one of my favorites of the home invasion genre with absolutely fantastic tension, and uh, where most movies in the genre either get repetitive or too dark to be fun. I love funny games, but it's not an enjoyable experience. Yeah. Uh, it strikes the balance perfectly. I also love John Gallagher Jr.'s performance in it. He is not some... He is not some giant, angry, scary villain, but an average white guy mm. that take, uh, looks a whole lot more like real-life killers. I mean, yeah. exci- excited to hear your thoughts, Lily. Um, yeah. Uh, I'd have to check to see what has been removed. It's mm. Oh, Artemis Fowl has been removed. That hit. Yeah. The one where Josh Gad eats dirt and poops it out his hey, butt. Hey, listen, it should be available. No one's arguing should? that it should be. Yes. It all should be available, even if it stinks. It should all be available. But I think that one's funny because that was supposed to be a big theatrical release originally. Yeah. And it yeah. got put on Disney Plus because of the pandemic. And even now, and even now it's just gone. Yeah. Oh, Black Beauty is gone. That was supposed to be a really good one. Their 2020 Black Beauty. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just find it incredibly galling that yeah. uh, when streaming services first started up, yeah. Uh, we were all operating under the misapprehension that they were building an archive. Yeah. <laughs> that they're going to start putting these movies on streaming and you'll just have permanent access to them. Wouldn't that have been uh, nice? Wouldn't that have been nice? Uh, mm. if, if I were... When I run for president, I'm going to start a Library of Conference... Congress. <laughs> Library of Conference. Library yeah. of Congress streaming service, a permanent archive of all of the films on it that will be free that to the American nice. citizens. Uh, in, they do have some of that, but it's all stuff that's in like public domain. Yeah, yeah, you know, like you can see like a whole bunch of like silent movies and I think newsreels and things. Mm-hmm. You know, that that kind of stuff actually. I just I I would like the Library of Congress to be open to everyone digitally. That would be nice. I agree. Uh, but yeah, uh, Netflix. You know, they had their their mail in service and then they started their streaming service. Mm-hmm. It, I remember what a a coup it was when they started producing their own shows. Yeah. It's like, I thought you were a video store, like Mm -hmm. this archive of, of movies. Isn't this sort of like the, the delivery boy hustling you his own pizzas on the side. Mm. Uh, and then it just sort of became standard. All of the streaming services, in order to stay competitive with each other, started offering big new hit shows. And now some of the biggest shows of all time are just on streaming. Uh, the archive started to dwindle. All of the money went into these original programs. Mm-hmm. And then it started coming out in recent years that they can get gigantic tax write-offs if they don't make any money off of something. Like if they take a loss yeah. on something, then... And just agree never to try to make money off of it again. So if, yeah. if yeah, if they just sort of lock it up and nobody ever sees it and they, ha- and they don't sell it, yeah. they can get this huge kickback from the government. Uh, and... It's really sad that not seeing art is worth more to them than seeing art. Yeah, uh, preserving it. Not, not that you know, Artemis many... Fowl is necessarily art, but... Uh, well, think about there's... how many things that Disney or, or Warner Brothers or all the other uh, studios have done that didn't find an audience until years, sometimes many years later. Well, what, what you know, I like that they, yeah. they, they wasn't able to become a hit to make the money mm. until people found it. When you look at... You go to Netflix... If you go to Netflix, you'll see, like, what's trending right now? What are the most watched movies on Netflix right now? And you'll see that at almost any given time, there's, like, some random-ass movie. Yeah, like Eraser. That came out like, yeah, Eraser or, or, or Ma, that Octavia Spencer oh, movie. Yeah, that, that it was, was a fun thriller, but it kind of came and went, and no one really cared. And then all of a sudden, it's, like, the number one most watched movie on Netflix. 
that couldn't happen if it wasn't available. <laughs> you mm-hmm. can't do that. Um, I'm looking right now at a list of uh, a lot of things I've been seeing. A lot of them are stuff I haven't seen because it's a lot of stuff, a lot of TV shows. Um, some stuff that I liked that I'm already looking at. Uh, on Hulu, there was a really good action movie called The Princess starring uh, uh, Joey King. Uh, well, which it was, was pretty good. It was a really vi- good. Violent action yeah. film in it a was, tower kind it was, of thing. It was a Die Hard if Die Hard was a fairy tale. So imagine like a princess is like trapped at like the top of a tower. Uh, an evil king has come in and says, I'm going to marry the princess and take over the castle. Uh, but the princess has been studying like fighting like on the side and ends up like killing an entire army worth of guys with like swords and martial arts and shit. Mm. And it's great. It's really fun. It's a great slumber party movie. It should have been a huge hit. Um, See, the Willow TV series was taken. Yep. I didn't watch that, but that, that's, that seems odd. I heard it was good. That was one of the things they were uh, gunning for, Disney was, that is, uh, yeah. when they purchased Lucasfilm. They wanted, yeah. they didn't just get Star Wars in that purchase. They also got Indiana Jones, Willow, and all the other George Lucas stuff. Yeah. And uh, there's a new Indiana Jones film coming out that, yep. that was part of their deal. They made one, and there's also talk of like a new young Indiana mm-hmm. Jones Chronicles TV series. Uh, yeah. they, they kind of milked Star Wars really dry theatrically. Like, yeah. nobody wants to see Star Wars movies in theaters anymore. No, they want they to see them on, on home video, which, which is, or streaming, which is fine, but... They, but yeah, they, they kind of they kind of started they, pushing that in the TV direction. They flat out announced, we're going to do a Star Wars a year, and it's like, um... Star Wars isn't that varied, actually. I think you're going to yeah, run out of yeah. Star Wars, and they did. Uh, uh, let's see, a few other so, things. Uh, here's but, some, uh, yeah. but yeah, but then they Willow was part of that. They were going to do yeah. Willow. They got the original cast, or they got Warwick Davis back anyway. Yeah, they, I think um, they went to other people too. Um, uh, I didn't say but it, but yeah, I heard they, it, was, they, it was good. They made a TV series yeah. out of Willow, and now yeah. they just don't care. Uh, there's a se- animated series from J.G. Quintel. I, I quite liked I didn't watch all of it, but I really liked what I saw. Uh, J.G. Quintel did a show called Regular Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is one of my favorite Cartoon Network shows, and it is about uh, a blue Oriole and I think a raccoon who work at a park, and they're just slacker dudes who like really love stuff from the '90s, and there are whole episodes about how like mm-hmm. laser discs was actually the most superior home video medium, and there's a whole conspiracy to keep it down. And uh, close enough was like his take on being like in your 30s. And there were, you know, it was a little hit or miss, but I thought it was really, really funny, and I, I connected with it a lot. Um, what was another one? Um, oh, Full Frontal with Samantha B has apparently uh, been taken off oh, of HBO the, Max. That uh, was a great show. Yeah, that was a legitimately yeah. great, See, I'm, I'm trying humorous to find news show. I'm trying to find some other lists here. Yeah. Um, uh, the Twelve Dates of Christmas is gone. Okay, that's a shame. Yeah, yeah agreed. You laugh, but uh, I, I think it is. I, I know that's one you've seen. Uh, I believe it is. Odo, or oh, Odo, Elmo's talk show. Oh, I heard El- that was cute. Elmo that's had a that. talk yeah, show yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's taken away. Yeah. Um. Jeez, I'm trying to see. There's got to be. My Dinner with Hervé, uh, the oh, Hervé really? Villachez, uh, oh. HBO original, that one's gone. Whoa, Metalocalypse um, got taken down. Oh, that's a pity. That sucks. That's a classic. I like Metalocalypse. Yeah, Metalocalypse is a big fucking deal. Uh, that's, the car- that's a shame. Cartoon Network show Uncle Grandpa is gone. Uh, oh, okay. That was really popular. I remember that. Um, see, man, Pac-Man see and the Ghostly Adventure. I didn't even know about the Pac-Man show, but okay. Mm-hmm. This I'm is just a... looking at these lists. There's like it's dozens just, and It's dozens staggering. Of and if you like do this. Well, okay. 
Yeah. I, I'm of two minds Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Fuck you. Fuck you for taking that down. Fa- Space Ghost Coast to Coast is... Must is a, live a, forever. ...a masterpiece of modern Dadaism. It is, it is, it is art. It is... <laughs> I, 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 there's no exaggeration here. Space Ghost Coast to Coast is the thing that made adults swim. They were doing yeah, stuff yeah, before, yeah. they did stuff after, but the weird crossover success of, of Space Ghost Coast to Coast... Mm had such an impact space coast coast to coast like led directly into like stuff like sea lab more repurposed well, the, uh, at hannah barbera animation characters, for comedy yeah, purposes um, uh, Har- it, harvey birdman attorney at law those shows the, yeah. the powerpuff girls debuted in a space ghost episode <laughs> nice it totally did and i think so did dexter's lab same episode uh, well, I remember when Cartoon Network first began, they had four yeah. hit new shows. There was uh, Powerpuff Girls. Yeah. There was Johnny, Ed, Bravo. Ed, uh, Johnny Bravo, Ed, Ed and Eddie, and... Uh, and um, was it Dexter's Laboratory? Dexter's Laboratory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, Craig McCracken was a big part. Gendy Tartakovsky was in there. Yeah. Um, some, some important names in animation. Those yeah. those were, the, like, the four big launch shows. But, yeah, Space Coast Coast to Coast was getting them in the 90s. Um, yeah. And listen, some of these shows, it's my understanding that some of these shows are gone for tax write-off purposes, and some of them uh, are the sort of things that they might end up, if they haven't already, uh, uh, selling to other streaming services Mm. in order to make more money off them that way. And I've already started seeing shows that were initially like, oh, yeah, yeah, if you want to see this animated Batman show, you got to go to the Warner Brothers mm. streaming service because they own Batman, and I'm like, that makes sense. That's why I would buy. Why mm. I would buy that? Well, but then they start licensing the characters yeah. and other streaming services. Well, and now, have now, them, so, now yeah. I've noticed that Justice League and the Batman and a bunch of other like DC superhero stuff is back on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Mm. Uh, so again. Keep an eye out. Some of these things may reappear. And again, just because we haven't seen them doesn't mean anything because there's so much stuff. Yeah. No one well, has to see all of it, but that's why it's all here well, I for was, someone. I was going to say, um, I, I, I'm of two minds of this. Yeah. I don't like that art has no value to the yeah. streaming services. Oh, that's it's, all, it's all about the algorithms and chasing numbers and making yeah. money. There's always been a commercial aspect to most arts, but... When that's what takes precedent, or when it feels like it, that's a problem. That's bad. Uh, But at the same time, in the race to get eyeballs and to get dollars, uh, they most certainly oversaturated the market. Mm -hmm. There were way too many of these shows to catch up with, and way too many of these movies. Uh, While it's nice that it was all out there... There was no way to keep keep up with all of it, so you know the spending had to stop. And in a way, it's sort of like giving us a breather. <laughs> and listen, I'm okay. I'm but okay I, I with prefer... I'm okay with production winding down and going in cycles where yeah. we produce a lot, we produce a little less. That's a natural ebb and flow, give and take. Mm. It's removing things from ever being found again. That's the issue. That's yeah. the thing that's fucked, and that is something that is genuinely terrifying to anyone who cares about but anyone who also makes art because you spend years out of your life in most cases making these tv shows and now no one will ever see them and because no one will ever see them not only are you not getting residuals which was something you were relying on but also no one else is going to see that work and so that'll make it harder for you to get more future work Hmm. it's a general understanding that when you create something, you're creating it to be seen. 
I shouldn't have to explain that to anybody. That's the whole point of creation. It's not to just hide it away somewhere. Especially when you're hired to, because then what the hell is the point? It's absolutely staggering. It's absolutely terrifying. I hate every single part of it. And, uh, yeah. By the way, my computer's being very loud right now. So if you're hearing like oh, some white noise or something like that, that's that's why. Mm. Knock it off, computer. You're bad. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, it sucks. This whole this whole this whole deal sucks. Yeah. Uh, the the yeah. lesson here is mm. buy physical media. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I understand that it's uh, really pricey, but mm. if you consider keeping track of your favorite shows, will require subscribing to random or even multiple streaming services mm. i mean it kind of shakes out to be the same i think physical media everyone was like physical media is going to go away entirely i think it's just going to turn a bit more niche like vinyl you know yeah, like it'll, yeah, it'll i think there's definitely going to be an audience for this but it's going to be people buying 4ks criterions there's, there's yeah factories, there's a couple a uh, couple you know? tiffany labels to really keep an eye on criterions one yeah. of them pretty pricey but you know worth it when they have the half off sales but like um, but like arrow video Aero, yeah, or Aero vinegar, vinegar syndrome, syndrome uh, like they'll, a lot of they'll find movies that sometimes specialty people, outlets yeah, really do and it. The, they won't like put them out forever or they won't make a million copies of them but they'll make them so yeah, that I've, if you wanted to make sure you always had a copy of mm. Troop Beverly Hills. By God, the Shout Factory's can... probably got that I one. Think, I think that was Arrow actually who did oh, that. Arrow one. did <coughs> Troop Beverly Hills. I think. Hold All on, right. let me see. Hold on. I, there was a there was a Blu-ray. I that got came out a, a couple pair years of ago. box sets from Arrow Video uh, very recently. I got a, the Shinya Tukamoto box set. Mm. The guy who did Tetsuo the Iron Man. Oh. They just have this box set of all of his movies. Really great. It has all three of the Tetsuo movies. Uh, Tokyo Fist, uh, uh, mm. uh, Bullet Ballet, I think it's called. Um, Lot, lot of his uh, his works, and I also got the Herschel Gordon Lewis box set, which I'm very happy to I, have. I guess Sony put that one out. I could have sworn there was like a special True Beverly Hills that had come out from mm. someone it, or other. It, Arrow like, did a really impressive box set for the movie Wild Things. Nice. Uh, it comes with like multiple discs and posters. Well, and that one actually warrants it. Wild Things is actually a pretty great movie. It's it's. High trash at its highest. Is well, it's, it's thing. the best possible trash. It's yeah, very it's, well crafted. It's, 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 it's really actually sweaty. The, the the screenplay of that thing should have been nominated for an Oscar. Like it's a really hmm. smartly constructed film noir screenplay. Yeah. Um, so it's just a really sleazy. movie. Oh, it's an incredibly yeah. sleazy movie, but it <laughs> but it's sleazy with a point. Yeah. No. It's uh, not just sleazy that's, that's, to be sleazy, which is a which is fine in and of itself. I was going to say that's but that's, the, that's descriptive, not a pejorative. Yeah, no, no, like you can be sleazy for its own sake. That's a perfectly valid thing mm. to be, but it's also oh, you're only trying so hard. Yeah, uh, Wild Things actually had ideas and it was it was an intelligent movie that happened to also be very very sleazy. Um uh, the uh model old old physical media collectors like me. Uh we used to follow where we would see a film come out like new on the market, mm -hmm. but we understood that there was a really thriving used video market as well, or used record market. Yeah. So we would go get these videos, uh, like go to the store, look at the videos, see, mm, I don't want to spend mm -hmm. 20 bucks on that, be willing to spend eight bucks. So we'd end up going to the used record stores, places like Penny Lane. Mm -hmm. uh, we'd kind of hold out. We'd oh, wait for the Penny price. Lane. Yeah, Penny Lane was really great. Penny Lane was um, this, uh, uh, relatively small, but in, in Southern California, there were a lot of them. There were a couple of them. You, you, you find them in Pasadena, you find them in Westwood, you can find them around. Uh, but they were uh, used CD and video stores. Mm -hmm. And they also had a bunch of posters, and they always had like and like tchotchkes mugs. Yeah, so uh, I well, always wanted to work there. All, all the, those, all were, those the, were the cool video store guys. It, it was 
they had the stuff that Hot Topic sells now, but when that stuff was like kind of rare and niche and, and like mm-hmm. cool and a little bit edgy. Yeah, if you wanted like a framed poster of the house on Haunted Hill, yeah, the original, you get that at Penny Lane. Pretty yeah, cheap. Uh, you know, like it was great. Godzilla mug. God, um, so many movies that are still in my collection are probably from, from Penny Lane. Yeah, if you yeah. still have the price stickers on them, leave them on there. Oh but, yeah, memories. Uh, they, they won't. They won't raise the price or anything but, uh, like that. They're just fun. We were shopping so often, and there were so many options when it came to record stores that we could just go to the used record stores, and we could get the videos for cheap. Mm. And uh, we've had to spend many, many years breaking ourselves of that habit. If you see something on physical media, mm-hmm. it's brand new, and it's full price, mm-hmm. you just got to pony up and get it right then. If you then can afford it, get because it, because you don't know. there's not a second-hand market necessarily, and if there is, it's on eBay, and the price is only going to go up. It's not going to go down. Mm. Um, it's really rare now that a video will leave the market or a record will leave the market and you find it cheaper elsewhere later. Mm-hmm. Um, so Every once in a while, you know, it's you, weird, you, though, because I'll go to like... It's, um, it's kind of kind of unfortunate that you have to spend so much money. But, but yeah. there, there's one exception to that, though, and that's the uh, the sort of dime store bins. Like, if you go to 7-Eleven, they sometimes have a bunch oh, of DVDs. Well, yeah, yeah. Or if you go to Rite Aid, like, next to all of their, like trashy airplane novels they'll have a bunch of dvds and blu-rays and every once in a while you look at there and i'm like this is a good deal like this is like the a complete like saw box set for like 20 bucks in blu-ray and you're like yeah that's good so never never pass those up always give those a gander because you'll find some gold in there and it's usually underpriced when they go to that market so Uh Anyway, uh, let's move on. All right. Uh, here's a letter from the Gorilla Walrus Ninja. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I, I just read what's at the bottom. I don't read yeah. it from the subject line. If you don't yeah. sign off, it's name redacted. Yep. Um, Hello, Bibs and Rockmeister. Cool. Do the choices of actors mm. make you lose or gain respect for them on a professional level? Mm. I'm thinking of Robert De Niro versus Leonardo DiCaprio. Robert De Niro is obviously a great actor who has been in some of the best films ever made. He also has a problem saying no. It seems that in the last 20 (laughs) years he will do anything that includes some really terrible movies. Compare this to Leonardo DiCaprio, who only acts in one film every few years, but that film is usually an Oscar-nominated classic. Doesn't mean DiCaprio is a better actor uh, than some of the other A-list stars, but he does seem to be very choosy with what he'll do. As a critic, do you prefer this method, or does it not really matter if a great actor will fill his filmography with a lot of crap mixed in with the gold? Thank you, The Girl of Walls. No uh, that's a great question, actually, and it's something that we talk about kind of a lot, but we don't always like come at it from that angle. Uh, the idea of the choices that certain artists make and how those choices kind of accumulate and affect how we view them. Hmm. Uh, some actors start down one path and then find success in this one medium and then very much switch. Hmm. John C. Riley, for example, started his career as a very serious actor within oh. a lot of dramas. And then somewhere around the Talladega Nights Step Brothers era, he people realized just how incredibly funny he was. And now he's probably better known as a comedian I than as a serious uh, dramatic actor. I, I would say something like Boogie Nights was the turning point. Because well, that was both. Like, he yeah, was a serious was, role and dra- it was fun. Drama, but yeah, yeah also... And, and, he, yeah. and he's worked with P.T. Anderson a bunch. Um, yeah. Uh, I... I've, I've tried to be a little bit more uh, diplomatic when mm-hmm. it comes to, like, actors' choices because it's their friggin' choice. Uh, they get well, to do whatever they want. Well, sometimes it's their choice. Sometimes it's what they're offered. Yeah, so, sometimes remember, it's what they're uh, offered. Sometimes, you know, it's it's a matter of um, mm-hmm. uh, 
just the work they can get at the time. I, I remember I read uh, an interview with John Travolta, like back in the late nineties. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is back when like John Travolta was having like, you know, a huge career resurgence. Mm-hmm. Like after Pulp Fiction, he was in Broken Arrow and Face Off and get shorty. Primary, get shorty and Primary Colors. And after like being really, really huge in the seventies and having his career kind of nosedive in the eighties, pop up really briefly with look who's talking and then drop right back down with look who's talking two and three. <laughs> Pulp Fiction remade his career, and he parlayed that into becoming a major leading man and one of the top grossing actors in Hollywood mm-hmm. with another Oscar nomination under his belt. He did really, really good for himself. Uh, but he was doing an interview, and he said, they said, uh, what, what made you decide to do Pulp Fiction was basically mm-hmm. the question. And he said, it was literally the only screenplay I'd been offered. Wow. That was the last one. <laughs> that was No one was knocking on my door. I had made too many duds. Yeah. I'd made too many bad decisions, and I was at a point where I was just, no one was offering me anything, and it was basically do Pulp Fiction or do nothing. Yeah, yeah. I've, you can be at that point. And, I've, yeah, you know. I'm, uh, I, I will always remember an interview I read once with Emilio Estevez, of all people, Yeah, because uh, he moved to, he's directed his whole career, but he was uh, mm. hawking his new movie, Bobby, the one about yeah. Robert Kennedy, and... Uh, and they asked him, you know, it's like, and you know, you did all these movies and then you were like, and all like a lot of different pictures. And then you just weren't for a while. What happened? He just said, I didn't stop working on purpose. Yeah. Just people didn't, weren't hiring him. And people didn't want to hire Emilio Estevez. He wasn't hip anymore. It was unpopular. His and, movies aren't making money. Your movies yeah. don't make money. You get fewer roles. This, sometimes you can write it out if people really like working with you. Like, mm-hmm. um, I remember hearing, um, about Freddie Prince Jr. in the turn of the century. And there was so many movies that were trying to make Freddie Prince Jr. An actor I, I respect. He's a, mm. He could be a very good actor. I really liked him in Star Wars Rebels. I got nothing against Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, as far as I know. Um, but he was in one underperforming kind of rom- romantic movie after another. Yeah. And it just seemed like, with the exception of Scooby-Doo, which was more of an ensemble thing... No matter how hard Hollywood tried, he could not become a hit star. But they kept trying. And it's my understanding is because people liked working with him. He's just a nice guy. Yeah, people people like working with him. They'll only take you so far, but that will take you pretty far if they believe in you, you know? So mm. these things happen. Um, when it comes to, you know, actors who will do anything um, or seem like they'll do anything, uh, my philosophy is this. Well, it's twofold. One, when you're an actor, you don't know if the movie's going to turn out good. Mm. Sometimes you get a great screenplay. Or successful. You can get a great screenplay, you sign on to do a great screenplay, and then it doesn't get directed very well. Or parts get miscast, or it gets rewritten and it doesn't, and no longer works the way it used to. Or just people don't see it for whatever reason people don't see it. Well, I'm talking about just when sometimes the actual movie does turn out bad, which can happen. Yeah. Uh, But sometimes you make a really, really good movie and nobody seems to care for some reason because of timing or too much competition or whatever that's not the actor's fault you did the best you could you were hired to, to play a role you played the role really good it, hopefully that's all you can do and it's a crapshoot and there's a lot of actors out there really really great actors who could absolutely have been as big as popular as successful as any of the big movie stars you're thinking of right now when you think of big movie stars and the breaks just never broke yeah they were in a movie, it seemed like it was going to be a hit, it wasn't, and then they couldn't get another big role after that, and it sucked. Um, think of someone like, I don't know, Taylor Kitsch, 
Hollywood tried <laughs> really hard with Taylor Kitsch. He started John Carter and Battleship. Those were supposed to be two of the biggest movies of the year. And, and you know what? I like both of those movies. Miserably. Yeah, I like yeah. both of those movies. Those movies are really, really fun. Are they great? No, there's glimpses of greatness in John Carter, but it's not a great movie. But they're not his fault either. He did fine. It's just the it didn't work out. I personally admire an actor who has a really strong work ethic and just likes working. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily well, mean they're um, going to be in good movies, but I've, Ben Kingsley's been in a lot of shit, well, but he I've, keeps I've, working, you know? I've noticed this, and um, wh- what we're talking about here, uh, you know, De Niro, mm-hmm. DiCaprio, uh, you're a movie star. Mm-hmm. How, how, uh, how much are you a movie star? How much are you concerned about the public's perception of you? Yeah. How much are you selling yourself as a product? Mm-hmm. And how much are you an actor? How much do you like to delve into your craft? Mm-hmm. How much do you like to get into characters? There are actors who don't give a damn about being a movie star, and there are movie stars who aren't really great actors. Um, That's true. That's very fair. I feel like so, some of the greatest movie stars we have aren't necessarily great actors. Mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. is not a good actor. He would agree with me. I think he uh, would. I th- he, he's had a good role here or there, but he was mm-hmm. usually tailor-made to his very specific yeah. strengths. And he is such a... a charming outsized personality uh-huh. that he's magnetic on screen. You want to watch Arnold Schwarzenegger in an yeah. action picture because he has that, that kind of movie star capability to mm-hmm. him. It works with him. Yeah. Uh, then you have someone like Daniel Day-Lewis who clearly did not want to be a movie star. Yeah. Even, yeah. even when he was in a movie star role, you watch uh, Michael Mann's Last of the Mohicans. Amazing big, epic big adventure. Big Hollywood picture. Romantic, yeah. sexy, action-packed, one of the best musical scores ever put ever put to cinema, if you ask me. Uh, he's great in that. That is a movie star role, if ever there was one. He could have parlayed that mm. into big movie star type roles. He actively chose not to. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but that sort of like movie star versus actor thing. Yeah. It's a phenomenon in sort of the higher end of Hollywood mm-hmm. acting biz. It's also incredibly American, and you'll notice uh, if you go over to uh, England, and I noticed this with Anthony Hopkins, because I saw him popping up in big action blockbusters, but also like little tiny dramas, and also these Mm -hmm. really weird, intense uh, Hollywood projects that make no sense to him, like Instinct. uh, Yeah, like weird thrillers or horror movies. Which is really odd. Yeah, he's in a bunch of horror movies. It's like, what is he doing with his career? And the answer is whatever he wants. Yeah. He's a big enough star that he can take the job in front of him. And he's such a a professional and he has Mm. a a very particular work ethic unique to the aisles (laughs) where he's going to throw himself into wholly whatever the role is. There's one exception to that. I actually just saw a thing today where Anthony Hopkins was talking about working on the Thor movies. Oh yeah. And he was just like, once you're working in green screen, you stop trying. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's just makes no point at that point. Mm. You're against the green screen, you just say your lines and you move on. I, I remember uh, uh, Kathleen Turner said something like, she was yeah. in a, a, what was that witch movie she was in with uh, 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 Martin Short? Um, oh, oh, oh. It was, it was a while back. Oh, like, Merle Wilson was in it. Uh, yeah, this. it was like, it was like one like, little well, wish one, or something. One little wish. Something uh, like a simple that. wish. A simple, that's it, a simple wish. A simple wish, yeah. Uh, there's a scene that she was talking about filming, and they put her on like this big pole, so she's like floating around against yeah. this blue screen, and, like making these witch noises, like, ah, trying to menace the, the other actors. And she, she was talking about it's yeah. like, that's not really acting anymore, is it? Yeah. You're just they're hanging you from a pole, and you're bouncing around. Dude. The cats are knocking stuff over what again. What if you just didn't, Dante? What if so, uh, didn't knock things over. Have you tried? So, d- okay. do... do uh, I will... 
lose respect for an actor if they uh, like consistently work for a filmmaker I hate, mm-hmm. um, or or although, they do something, or if they do something unethical that oh, we're yeah, aware of, obviously yeah, um, we'll lose a lot of respect for them. For but that, at the same but, time, like I don't yeah. like Uva Bowl's movies, but you know I'm not going to fault anybody for consistently working with Uva Bowl. Mm-hmm. Eric Roberts needs work. Uh, <laughs> Michael Perret needs work. I don't uh, yeah. begrudge anyone for doing work unless, again, there's an mm. actual, like, you're actually supporting someone on Ethical's career, mm. then yeah, I no. have a problem. But generally speaking, y- mm. you get a role. You, mm. This is actually, uh, Uwe Boll had a bit about this. Uwe Boll, if you don't know who we're talking about, Uwe Boll is a filmmaker. There was a time when he was considered one of the worst filmmakers who ever lived. Now he's not really considered at all. But uh, there was, <laughs> Stop making movies after a while. It, I mean, I think he's still working, but he does so much straight-to-video stuff that isn't well, really getting any any traction. But there was well, a time he's, he's when... he's German. I think he's making a lot of German films. He, he might days, be, but yeah. um, there was a time when Uwe Boll was a filmmaker who, through sheer moxie got the rights or got attached to a whole bunch of adaptations of pretty popular video games. Uh, Not necessarily video games that all had a lot of traction to this day, but popular video games. Uh, He directed video game versions of uh, Far Cry, which uh, is actually still a huge franchise. You know, that's actually one of his better movies, even uh, though it's not good. Alone in the Dark, Blood Rain, uh, House House of the... Dead. House of the Dead. House of the Dead. The first, he did the first House of the Dead. The second one's actually pretty good, but he didn't do that one. Um, he did a, a film version of Postal, which I heard was actually, if if you're into like like daring idiot humor, then, yeah. then that's the kind of thing for you. In any case, most of those movies, I've seen most of those movies, most of them were genuinely terrible, but even though they were low budget, weren't great screenplays, or if they were great screenplays, they stopped being great screenplays, and a lot of screenwriters have talked about how difficult it was to work with Uwe Boll, um, they would still get big cast members. You look at Blood Rain, Blood Rain that's, is that's got a... Ben Kingsley in it. got Ben Kingsley, and this is a pretty good time for Ben Kingsley. It was around the time he was doing like House of Sand and Fog, like he just got another Oscar nomination, he, had, he was doing Sexy Beast around that time. Pretty good time. He He's in that movie, he... Barely gets out of his chair. <laughs> like, he barely gets out mm. of his chair. There's a scene where he has to sword fight Kristana Loken, who would probably mm. best known to this day for uh, being, Terminator the, 3, for being yeah. the evil Terminator in Terminator 3. She's fun in it. Um, he sword fights the protagonist of the film. There's a bit where it's like, oh shit, he just did like some really cool move and totally like took our hero off their guard. Like, that's the moment. Uh, he stepped forward slightly. Like, that's what he did. But people would ask Uwe Boll, how do you get all these actors? How do you get a movie that is clearly a low-budget, kind of underwhelming uh, fantasy epic based off the Dungeon Siege games? And how do you get a cast that consists of, but not limited to, uh, Jason Statham, Ray Liotta, uh, Matthew Lillard at a time when that was actually pretty cool, uh, not, not no disrespect. It's just he was a bigger he's, actor at the time. Um, and he's still working. He's, he's still working. Again, no disrespect. Just he was a bigger actor at the time. Um, how do you get it? How do you get all these actors? And he said, "Here's the trick." Burt Reynolds was in that movie. Here's the trick. Ask them if they're available at the last minute. If you don't <laughs> care who is cast in your movie, if you do not care. Who plays the roles? You can get a movie star to play that role, provided you pay them well, and you ask them at the last minute if there's a hole in their schedule. 
And then whoever has a hole in their schedule will be in your movie. They will accept the paycheck. They may or may not do a good job. But boom, you got a big actor in your movie. Mm. That's a great producer. <laughs> I'm not sure it's a great director, but that's a great pro- That guy produces. He will produce a movie star for you. Not necessarily the best person for the job, but he will produce a movie star. Anyway, um, but yeah, no, long and short of it, long and short of it, too late. Um, I don't disrespect an actor for being in a bunch of movies as opposed to a few movies. I don't even disrespect an actor for being in a bunch of bad movies, provided that they're still doing the effort and being good. If I see them not being good in a lot of movies, Hmm. then I might lose some respect for the actor, because I don't think they're acting very well, but Uh, yeah. Sometimes I like, and I think this might be the sort of the crux of the letter. Um, like Robert De Niro is a very capable actor; he can do any kind of role. Sure. Uh, and you know, he's I think he's in his late seventies now. Uh, at least, he just yeah. turned eighty. Uh, he's, you know, he's an old guy, and yeah. you know, he can do whatever he wants. To save up money when he he's was, older. He was um, just in that uh, uh, kind of rom com about my father. It was, called, it was called About My Father. Yeah, and you yeah. know what? It's it's not a role that asked a lot of them. He didn't phone it in. He's he's doing the job. Yeah. You know, uh, it would be neat to see him continue to sort of stretch even into an old, his old age. Seventy nine, yeah, yeah, just kind of do something really unusual and difficult. He was but, in the Irishman a couple years ago. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's the Irishman. So yeah. he, he did that. Yeah. Um, it's when uh, an actor kind of starts to rest on their laurels that can be a little frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really want Robert Downey Jr. back. Yeah. Uh, like, he coasted on those Iron Man films. He could be incredibly successful. I can't blame him and for then it. he tried to do other high-profile projects, and what the hell was The Judge? It was... Or, or Dr. Doolittle? Well, um, Dr. Do- okay, well, those are two very different things. The Judge yeah. was, he was in the middle of the Marvel movies, and he was like, people will pay to see me do Iron Man. They'll pay to see me do Sherlock Holmes. Hmm. Am I a big enough movie star? Will they pay to see me do anything? I'm going to do a mid-range, all-star, like, courtroom melodrama. Hmm. Where I play a hotshot lawyer in a small town, and but the difference is that my dad is the judge and he hates me. It's by Robert Duvall, who got an Oscar nomination for it. It's not his best work. Um, it's not a good movie. It's, no, a it's, pre- it's a pretty lousy melodrama, actually. It's, it's ham-handed. It's got a weird sense of humor. Robert Downey Jr. is fine in it. The acting is fine. It's just not a very good movie. But on top of not being a very good movie, nobody saw it. Because that kind of proved right then and there that audiences weren't interested in Robert Downey Jr. They were interested in Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Yeah. Since then, he hasn't tried... A lot of other things. He would do small roles. He was in Chef. Very, very good. But he's only in it for like two scenes. Yeah. After Iron Man ended, or the his time in Marvel's Cinematic Universe ended, he was like, I'm going to do another huge franchise, but it's going to be a family-friendly thing. No shame in that. Dr. Doolittle, beloved series of books. Mm-hmm. The uh, Rex Harrison movie is uh, kind of a joke, but it's a sweet little film. It's not like a... It, it's nothing to be like ashamed of. It's just a silly family movie lark from the late 60s. It just the movie sucked. Yeah, <laughs> it was a very very bad film. He wasn't very good yeah. in it, but it, you got the impression he was at least putting some energy into it. But Robert Downey Jr. before all that was one of the most interesting actors of his generation. He was even when the movie sucked, he was interesting. Like what was that? What was that one thriller he did with? Um, Neil Jordan. Oh, it's called In Dreams. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Weird fucking film. That was, yeah, that was a very strange movie. Yeah, there you go. Uh, he's he's pretty dang good in that really dang bad John Grisham movie, The Gingerbread Man. 
which I think also had Robert Duvall in it. Mm. Um, yeah, but like, yeah, you just yeah, people don't want to see him do it. I guess it's a shame. I do. Yeah, so uh, yeah. I he's he's done Shakespeare before. I've seen him do Shakespeare. Sure, I was, was in Richard, Richard the Third. in Richard the Third. Great movie. Um, God, I'd like to see him do more like classical theater kind oh, of roles. Cool. I like to. He is capable of so much as a performer, mm-hmm. and I feel like Iron Man like made sure he's going to be rich forever. Yeah, uh, and, deservedly so. And but uh, been also, successful without him. also at least as of this recording has kind of stymied his career, and I'd love to see him stretch and do more interesting things. And again. this is what we talk about sometimes when like people say like, "Oh, this actor got hired for a Marvel movie," and we're like, "Oh, that's kind of a shame, actually." Yeah. And on one hand, it's cool for them. They get a lot of money for they those. Get, they yeah. get a lot of exposure. Well, they get a also, lot of... not necessarily. Well, talk, to, talk to someone like Karen Gillan. She's like, mm. I didn't get paid a lot to oh, play I, Nebula. I, but... I interviewed Renee Russo once, and we talked about, like, oh, well, you got all that sweet Thor money. She's like, no, I did not. Got <laughs> <laughs> $500 for Yeah, for she, she did not get well paid for that movie. Uh, but regardless, like, you know, you start in these movies, it's obviously a big boost to your visibility. You know, there, you might be able to parlay that mm. into something, and some people do, but it's something you're, if you're, really committed to it you're not just gonna play like a one-off villain you're stuck doing it for a long time and that just prevents you from doing other potentially more interesting work yeah and as a fan of not necessarily the performer who just wants them to be successful because i like them fine and i don't know them so Mm -hmm. i have no idea but I like movies, and I like performances, <laughs> and I want to see a whole bunch of them, and I want them to be different and interesting, and I want you to be able to do a whole bunch of different interesting stuff. Yeah. And listen, if, if you don't, and you just want them to be in this Marvel movie or whatever, that's cool, too. We're allowed to value different things. Mm. But the thing is, we should be able to say what we value. Like, here's what I, as someone who has a particular perspective on movies based on my history, my education or research, whatever you want to call it, my job, my age, my uh, uh, gender, my uh, uh, sexual identity, all these things kind of come together. I will say, here's what I want. This is what I would like to see. And you will say, this is what you'd like to see. And then they'll make movies based on what information they gather from that. Mm -hmm. It's okay to say I, I'm not super interested in seeing this person get stuck doing Marvel movies, or I am. Hmm. One of them's gonna, one of you's gonna win out. The part will get played by somebody. Anyway, we got off on a whole tangent. Um, we I think we have time for one or two more. We, okay. Um, here is a letter from Austin. Hello, Austin. Hello. Uh, hello, Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool, a longtime listener, first time caller. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came across you two back when it was just canceled too soon. With the swanky intro music. Uh, oh, gosh. Remember our, uh, our oh Bar- Barry and Levon from oh the state God. intro? Yeah. We, we, we asked a, a friend of ours to create some uh, uh, podcast intro music for the first, like, 50 episodes of Cancel Too Soon. And uh, I don't know if I wasn't articulate about what I wanted, but what we got back was, like, this weirdly sexy music. And we it's just like, kind of leaned yeah, into very it. kind of funky. It was yeah. very strange. Um, but it wasn't really what we wanted. Uh, but it was fun though, and it was it was cute, and it came out kind of amusing. But eventually, we got someone to give us something more along the lines of what we were interested in. So, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole. Oh, but uh, he yeah. says it's been awesome watching you two and your shows. You two and your shows continue to grow. There's also a part of what inspired me to start my own movie review blog a few months ago, oh, uh, which has been a ton of fun to write. It's so much fun to write about movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels great to use my love of film to put something into the world. Uh, on the most recent episode of the Iron List. Uh, you mentioned A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, 
a movie I also adore. Uh, one of the many things I love is its music, which fits the mood yeah. incredibly well, in particular the scene of the girl dancing along in her place shortly after we meet her. Uh, there's a link to that song. Uh, and it's backed by a song which really stuck with me, and upon tracking it down, I fell in love with the artist. It is a song called Dancing Girls by an artist named Farah. F-A-R-A-H. And that's I not the only know. time I had heard something like that happening. I got down... I got around to diving into David Bowie's complete works after seeing Moon Age Daydream there you last go. year. Uh, so my question is, what artists or songs did you become fans of in this way? Oh. Uh, that is, deciding to check in with them after hearing them in a movie, whether it was your first time hearing them or the catalyst for diving deep. Thank you so much for all you do. Mm-hmm. You're super appreciated. Sincerely, Austin. P.S. A special slow thanks for your slow slash bleak cinema suggestions. <laughs> I've gained an immense appreciation for the style and it comes to some of my favorite movies, most notably An Elephant Sitting Still. Everyone mm-hmm. should see an elephant sitting still. And most recently, Goodbye Dragon Inn. Everyone should see Goodbye Dragon Inn. It's yeah. the best of all time. Yeah. Uh, I'll get around to Both it. of which I watched after hearing your praise for them. Uh, what if... What That's a great mu- question, actually. Yeah, yeah, what music have you discovered via movies? There's a, there's a lot. Obviously, there are certain songs. Uh, and it's always weird when you discover uh, an older song through a movie. Yeah. Like, y- y- everyone's introduced to a song... At some point for the first time. And if you weren't alive or very old when it first came out, you might have just missed it. Yeah, I, was... for example, heard Bohemian Rhapsody for the first time in Wayne's World. Yeah, same. A, a Queen was huge. Oh, you know what? Like the... I actually heard it shortly before. But yeah. Fair enough. But like Queen was like really, really huge in the 70s and the 80s. And by the late 80s, when I was getting just old enough to start paying attention to music, kind of petered out a little bit in popularity. You know, they just hadn't, you know... Been at the forefront for a little bit, and I'd heard some other stuff. Um, another one bites the dust, but Bohemian Rhapsody, when you see it in Wayne's World, is like a discovery. <laughs> like it was, it was it, the Wayne's World soundtrack. It, the, the Wayne's World soundtrack was to Bohemian Rhapsody what like the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack was to every song on the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. Mm-hmm. There's an entire generation that didn't know how cool that was yet. And maybe they only just narrowly missed it, but by God, they know how cool it is now. I kind of resent that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Mm -hmm. popularized Hooked on a Feeling by Blue Swede, Mm. um, because that was already on the the Reservoir Dogs soundtrack. Yeah, the Reservoir Dogs (laughs) soundtrack was introduced to me. I didn't become a huge Blue Swede fan the way Mm. I became a Queen fan, for example, but, you know. You know know who's a a big Blue Swede fan? No one. No one knows who (laughs) Blue Swede is. Um, Hooked on a Feeling is my favorite Blue Swede song. A cover, <laughs> yeah, and it's not even theirs. <laughs> um, shit, I'm trying to think now. Um, well, when, I, when I became a big to, fan of Jim uh, Steinman through uh, Streets of Fire. I hadn't uh, really been a fan before then. Jim J- Jim Steinman is allowed uh, for Streets of Fire. Yes. Uh, anything outside of Streets of Fire? Oh, no. Shut stop up, it, Jim Steinman. So many of his Meatloaf songs are great. You sh- you stop it. He did. He did um, his songs have a lot of words. He did he Total does. Eclipse of the Heart. Total yeah. Eclipse of the Heart. Mm. There was a time in my life, and this is, I am not making this up. And I think this says a lot about me. I had on an iPod or on my phone or wherever I was connecting to my uh, uh, dashboard radio at the time, uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart on a loop mm. in my car. For months, you have like a single or something. No, I was. Over? It was just. It was just repeat on my iPod or whatever it was right. I was using. I and I swear to God, just listened to Total Eclipse of the Heart <laughs> everywhere I drove for months, and I regret none of that time. 
You know what? We all have our embarrassing radio. I'm not embarrassed. I'm proud. You know, in in the early 2000s, I went through a pretty brutal breakup. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just completely devastated me. And uh, the only way to sort of get back on my feet was to listen to bubblegum. Something light. Yeah. And uh, I that was when I discovered Radio Disney. Uh, um. So there was a lot of, like, teeny bopper music from the early 2000s that I should not be familiar with, but am. Mm-hmm. I could tell you about the A-teens, or Bewitched, or, <laughs> or Element, spelled L-M-N-T. Oh, uh, there's the, all these, like, yeah. Yeah. I, I know these bands. Yeah. Um, do, to... do you know the, the gimmick with the A-teens? Oh, didn't do, they just do ABBA? Uh, yeah, the A stands yeah. for ABBA. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, ABBA yeah, yeah. teens. Uh, oh, ABBA's another one. I, I discovered ABBA through Muriel's Wedding. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I'd heard some of the songs before, but I didn't become obsessed until yeah, I saw I, Muriel's Wedding. I feel like um, when you're younger and you're, you're like kind of discovering pop music for the first time, movies mm. are a great way to do it. That's yep. how, um, thanks to uh, films like Good Morning Vietnam mm. or Stand By Me, uh, these yeah. were films that had like hit soundtracks of oldies from the 50s and 60s. Forrest Gump was another one of those. Yeah, yeah the, that's, really how I, that's how I first learned uh, through, uh, about a lot of those songs. But I'm trying to think of something where I was an adult. Yeah. Where I heard a, like a band or a, mm. like a particular pop song that made me really interested in them, like this yeah, this one tune really did different. it for me, because um, it is a different experience. It is, it is. Mm. It's different. You're you're more like consciously aware of it. I'll yeah. say this: this was kind of a curious one, and this wasn't from a movie. Um, but mm. if you remember Guitar Hero, oh well, yeah, back in those days, yeah, when that was, was a, playing Guitar Hero. A lot of people were introduced um, to a lot of different songs through Guitar Hero. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the bonus songs, uh, they, mm-hmm. they were all of the, like the licensed pop songs. Mm-hmm. And then there was like a bonus channel and it was all like original stuff made by the people who made the game. Like, uh, the, a, a lot, lot of, of it was, a yeah. lot of them had bands and they said, we'll put your mm-hmm. band song on it. And I discovered a, a wonderful band from Alston, Massachusetts called the giant. Oh, the giant uh, was great. Yeah. Yeah. The giant was really good. Uh, the, the song on, uh, on guitar hero was called FTK. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't explain what that meant. Yeah. And the lyrics don't bear that out. And then I heard the uncut version, and FTK stands for Fuck the Kells. And the Kells oh. was a horrendous frat bar in Alston, Massachusetts, where oh. all the frat boys hung out. Oh. And they hated it, so they wrote a song about what a shitty bar it was. Well, that'll do, won't it? And, and all of the lyrics about, you know, like, fuck mm. you, fuck your mom, fuck your whole entire clientele. Yeah. Um, they just hated the bar, so they wrote a, that song. Somehow they mm. cleaned it up and put it in the game. But I was like the one guy in California that was buying the giant CDs. <laughs> so they'd send like personalized notes whenever they wrote, when I ever bought, bought one of their records. Oh like, my God, that's thanks, nice. you're, you're our one California fan. It's like, oh, wow. They're usually just playing like these little bars and outside of Boston. That's so weird. Um, I'll so they, they, have, they have three. Yeah. And I, I want you to buy these because they're great. They have, one is called The Giant uh, Public Dis- Display of Infection. It's okay. their first EP. Then they put out one called Vagiant Boston, because there was actually another band called Vagiant, so they mm-hmm. had to change their name. And that was called Trash Candy. Trash Candy's really good. Then they had to change their name entirely because even Vagiant Boston wasn't enough, so they're called Tijuana Sweetheart on their last album. Oh, okay. And that, that their third record's called Under the Gun, and they're all great. That's cool, man. Uh, buy, buy those records. That is very, very cool. Oh, I just had another one. Um... <sighs> No, it's gone now. All right. Anyway, but that, and that's a fun question, actually. And you know what? Uh, the next episode of The Iron List is actually, uh, you brought it up, we, we have a poll every month to decide what the next episode of The Iron List is going to be, and the next episode is our is the best movie soundtracks ever. That's right. And uh, we need to talk which, about Which this. is a rough one. I'm going to... Which is tough, because it, and I think we need to clarify that one a little bit even. Usually we don't talk about it ahead of time, but I think this needs to be... 
not musicals and not orchestral scores because those are separate lists we can do. Yes. So this has got to be like, like music supervision. Music either all new songs like I think like Magnolia might apply for example like that or pre-existing songs that are curated. Yeah. Uh, so there might be a thin line between new songs and musical. We'll, we'll decide that for ourselves. But yeah, we're going to be focusing on, and my short list is nuts, and there's a few <laughs> things I really want to get to because I, I know the soundtrack, but I've actually never seen the movie. Not that that's the important thing, but I at least want to be able to talk about it. Uh, so I got a few things I need to catch up on there. But I'm really excited because we usually don't spend a lot of time talking about music. Hmm. You're way more of a music nerd than I am. Like I like music a lot. Don't well, get me wrong. And I used to I used to I'm sing not, in bands. Not and so stuff much. Like I'm not, not, no, I but you, I don't have great taste in pop music. I, I, you don't have great taste in pop music, but you do have great taste in music. <laughs> you have an interesting taste, and you are very well aware of things. And you have a partner who's a huge music nerd. Well, and you've been exposed it's, to things. It's my that wife I who's like the, the the proper rock nerd. Right, but she you've been ex- hell of a my wife. You've been exposed to things that I have. Yeah. Uh, and you probably are more articulate about them in some regards. Um, I, again, I studied singing for many many years uh and i've done some performing here and there but when it comes to actual just following music i haven't done it very regularly in a long time uh and i was looking at my list of like my picks for the best soundtracks ever and i'm looking at like would any other human being alive put that on there and i'm not Hmm. sure they would but um, (laughs) in any case it should be a fun iron list. I'm looking forward to recording it, but we need some time to put that one together. Um, we have time for we, one more. We should make mixes and put them on like Spotify. Oh, that'd be fun. <coughs> oh, bless you. Excuse me. That'd be fun. Yeah, Can we still like, do that? Do you still do like, mixes and put them on Spotify? Yeah, absolutely. Spotify still exists. Well, I don't know. You, know. you can curate playlists, and people who have access to it can see your playlist. Hmm. I know that. Uh, I know this because I had to look up uh, James Gunn's recently. Oh yeah, because uh, he, yeah, he had put like a list of all the well, just a, a lot of stuff. his Guardian stuff, but just a lot of his favorite songs. He's very yeah. fond of a band called Old Ninety Sevens. Oh, that's a great uh, band. Which um, I love the Old Ninety Sevens. Yeah, uh, they, they have a song called Time Bomb. I've got a time bomb in my mind, Mom. Did the Old Ninety Sevens did Let the Idiot Speak, or am I thinking something else? Oh, I don't know. Um, but he was such a big fan of the Old Ninety Sevens that he put them in uh, one of the Guardian the Guardians Christmas special. Oh yeah, he did. Like, yeah, there's this band of aliens, they, they, and that's actually like, it's just the old ninety seven. They're like they're like uh, the Greek chorus in a way. Yeah, that that's Rhett Miller mm. in the old ninety sevens, uh, and uh, yeah, I, let, I, let the idiot speak is the old ninety sevens. Okay. Yeah, I, I, really I, good song. I, I know about them because my wife is a fan, and mm. she's introduced me to the old ninety sevens. I think let the idiot speak was on um, the uh, the the Scott Pilgrim comic books had like a mix. They didn't have like a proper mix thing you could get but they had like a list, a list of you songs could, of you could make songs it, that yeah. inspired this particular chapter of the of the series uh and that was actually where i was in, it's not movies but it's where i was exposed to plum tree plum tree was i think a canadian sort of alt-rock band kind of on lines kind of sounded like a little bit like the breeders um was, wait is it the breeders who did um cannonball cannonball Oh, yeah, that... That was the Breeders, That's right? the Breeders, yeah. yeah. They sound a bit like the Breeders. Um, they did a song, I think it was actually called Scott Pilgrim, which is what oh, he yeah. named his protagonist after, and so I looked up that band. That's a great fucking band. The, a really fun rock band. Just, the, the Breeders are really great. Oh, the Breeders are really great, too, but also Plum Tree. 
which I think even Scott Pilgrim actually wears a Plum Tree t-shirt in the movie. Uh, really, not very well known, but they put out like three albums and they're all very, very good. Um, anyway, we got time for one more. Uh, or do we? Oh, do we? No, okay, we're done. All right. all right, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right. Uh, that is it for We've Got Mail this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, I know we have some new people because uh, we have our new Godzilla podcast that might be uh, uh, inviting some people over. So thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for subscribing. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a review if you haven't already. It really, really helps. Uh, and if you really want to help us out a lot, you can head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where you can listen to all of our regular shows uh, from, you know, con- current regular shows, uh, ad-free. Uh, you can also get a whole bunch of exclusive podcasts, including our Star Trek podcast, All Our Yesterdays. We review every single episode of Star Trek ever. There's a giant back catalog available if you want to uh, subscribe right now. Instantly available. Uh, we've got uh, Only the Best. We review every single uh, movie ever uh, nominated for Best Picture. Uh, and you can get episodes of Thank Godzilla It's Friday one week early. Uh, you can also vote for stuff like The Iron List. And we do uh, Discord hangouts and things as well. Thank you to all of our patrons. Without you, we wouldn't exist. We're incredibly grateful to you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, and again, if you cannot afford to uh, join us on Patreon, we totally get it. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a review. Uh, Whitney, uh, tell people how they can contact us on the on the on the We've Got Mails. <laughs> you mean through our actual mail? Mail? Yeah, uh, yeah. Write write an actual letter. We like getting those. Put it in an envelope. Mail it to us to the Critically Acclaimed Network, PO Box six four one five six five, Los Angeles, California nine double zero six four. We like to hear from you. Yep. And our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We're on Twitter. Dang it. Still, dang it. It's, it's, it's a sewer, but we're it's there. It's just it. getting worse, but by God, we've staked our claim. Uh, we are at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Slybold. We think you're great. And, um, yeah, hope you're doing awesome and feeling good. And thank you, everybody, who wrote in. Sorry if we didn't get to your letter. Uh, you know, well, we've got another podcast coming. <laughs> hey, that's what we do. Since anyway, you. bye. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. Right, bye. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>